Good afternoon and welcome to the Girls Who Sell Spotlight podcast, where we talk about everything sales. At Girls Who Sell, we are not only committed to closing the gender gap in B2B sales, but to building the largest pipeline of diverse, early stage female sales talent. We are not just a company. We are a movement. On today's episode, I'm super excited to introduce you to Jennifer Ives, Senior Vice President of Three Pillar Global. Jennifer is also an influential digital transformation executive. She is ranked in the top 50 women in SaaS, a hashtag BT150 honoree, which I'll have to ask you a little bit about, and is the founding member of Chief. Jennifer, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh my gosh, thank you very much for having me. I'm so honored to join you. Well, of course. So that's probably... Um, I I know that I didn't even come close to doing justice to your background. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what you're doing today and and then uh, a bit about your journey into sales. Sure. Well, thank you. Again, thank you for having me today. And I'm I'm so supportive of everything that you're doing in the world. So again, very honored to join you. My background. So today, uh, today I'm with a company called Three Pillar Global. We build custom digital software for um, very large mid-market and enterprise uh, companies such as Fortune and PBS and um, many others, Univision, the list goes on. We've built for Forrester, uh, many others. So really exciting job, a really exciting company, very fast growing, joined about four and a half years ago and uh, really joined actually to lead uh, one of our largest portfolios at the time and then ended up uh, stepping into the sales role. So all of, uh, ended up uh, leading all of commercial sales after about two years with the company. And then about 18 months ago, we had a funding event with a private equity firm and uh, the CEO and board and myself got together and discussed a strategic global partnerships um, position with the company to take all of that knowledge and really start moving into and, and, and driving the company towards uh, having a strategic partnership uh, and a strategic engagement program for the company. And I've been leading that for the last year and a half. Very exciting. Uh, it's been an incredible, incredible time with Three Pillar. We've been growing so quickly, double digits year over year. And I get to work with some of the smartest people and engage, most engaging people I've, I've had the pleasure of working with for you know many years now, for, for over four years. Um, I started out on on the engineering team at a geospatial engineering firm years ago. And uh, I really found that my love of technology and curiosity around the types of technologies that that people were using, that our clients were using, the why behind um, why they had come to us for that technology and what friction points they were trying to solve and asking lots of good questions around those friction points to, as I say many times, to make sure we're speaking the same language, to make sure that we've identified and we're really talking about the, the pain point or the friction point that they're trying to solve for and that we're all in the same page because there's nothing worse than thinking that you're solving for one thing and and your client uh, believes that you're solving for something else. And and with some really good questions and with just stepping back, um, many times that's all it requires is just stepping back, getting a really good feel for what it is that what are their goals, where are they trying to go in the world? What are they trying to accomplish? And then how does our either service or our technology, you know, our digital product fit into their, their solution? So um, once I realized that you can have, you can do both, you can, you can be in the world of technology 
and also um, solve some people's pain points and friction points and companies' pain points and friction points and industry-wide pain points and friction points. That was very exciting to me. So the role of a sales leader, uh, I I stepped into that uh, role um, in a way that was really, and this is something that I share often, it's really about um, solutioning for 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 challenges and solutioning for fi- for friction points, not so much to sell sell sell. It's trying to figure out and understand what those friction points are and and come up with a way to address it and be successful in doing so. And if it's not my product or service that can do so, at the end of the day, once we've asked all those really good questions, then I want to certainly um, recommend. Uh, another organization or another group that can really nail that particular challenge because it always comes back around. Um, If that is the case, you want to get that person or that organization or that industry to the right right fix um, and they will come back to you. They really will. You build instant credibility and they'll come back to you. They remember that very fondly. And that's happened many times in my career where the majority of the time um, I've been able to help people. uh, And when I I can't or when my particular company can't, uh, I recommend them to the right person and and we move forward and and it always comes back. We stay good friends and we uh, continue to work with each other into the future. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so much to unpack there. So, um, and I actually love that. I think, I think it built um, not only credibility, but it's, it builds integrity. Right. And, um, and they will come back. I found that in my career as well. Um, And it's hard as a salesperson to think about walking away and saying, you know, listen, I don't think that we have the best solution or, or product or service for you right now. I would maybe recommend that you look at, you know, company A, B, and C. But if in the future you need X, Y, Z, you know, come, please call me because we can solve for that, right? Absolutely. And, and invariably, they, they come back. Absolutely. And you also have just demonstrated that you understand, you really understand their business because many times um, in in my career, it's not that my solution or the product hasn't been the correct one. It's that we were maybe a step to, you know, we were a step beyond where they were. So Mm -hmm. I'm able to consult, almost consult them through and and make suggestions. Here's what it is that you want to take as a next step. I see where you're going here. Let's lay it out. Let's get some visuals, right? Let's lay it out. I see where you're going. And you need to do X, Y, and Z before you do anything else, whether you bring, you know, myself and my company into the, into the conversation again, you really need to do these three things. You need to bring these two people into that committee of decision makers, really help guide them through. They're very, very busy. I mean, to have that empathy for the person that you're working with, right? Understand what their daily struggle is, understand what it is that they're trying to accomplish as a professional, what it is that their company is trying to accomplish, um, and understand who else should be playing a role in those decisions, share your knowledge with them again, because if you really understand what it is that your solution or your product, you'll have a great picture as to what it is that they could be doing or should be doing. And again, it, sometimes it's just that you're a step, uh, you're a step ahead and they really need to do a couple of things. Um, and then three or six months later, that's when it's the appropriate time for you to bring in your solution. That's just one example. Yeah. Um, maybe just for some of our leader or our listeners that might not understand what a friction point is, could you provide an example of what could potentially be a friction point and how you would solve for that? Oh gosh, that's such a good question. So friction points can be, you know, a variety of friction points for different people. Um, 
how about if I use one, this is not my area of, of expertise, but it's something that whenever I talk with sales teams and I use um, a remodeling project, almost everyone on the sales team gets what that means. They either saw their parents go through a remodeling project. They're going through a remodeling project themselves. They've done it. They've done it seven times. Like it just, it, it, it so I'm going to, so let's say you want to remodel your house and you're looking at an addition. And the friction point, your perceived friction point is I need more room. So someone comes in, you know, contractors come in and they're like, great, well, you need more room. We're going to, you know, bump it out and we'll give you two stories. And we'll da, 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 da. But that isn't actually my friction point. My friction point is a little bit further down the road because that's when someone can tend to ghost, right? They say, oh my gosh, this is just too much. Well, it's because that person that that contractor didn't actually understand the friction point. Yes. The obvious friction point is I need more space. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. That's that's the obvious, but what's going to stop me, me as the buyer from moving forward. Maybe it's that I don't have an architect and it's very overwhelming to me. Maybe it's that I really didn't get a good sense of the timeline. And and so I'm thinking that this is a three month project, but then after talking with the contractor, I, in my brain, my mind have created this into a nine month project. And then where am I going to move for nine months? And what am I going to do for nine months? Those are some friction points that that contractor or the person who's trying to help me solve my space problem, they hadn't quite uncovered, right? If they'd taken it one or two more steps, then we may have gotten the yes very quickly. If they could have understood and asked just a couple more a couple more questions. So friction points can be, a, that's why it's points kind of plural because there's the obvious, right? You need a product to do X, Y, and Z. Well, then what is the friction point that is keeping you from making that decision or keeping you from moving forward with what, what the next step is? Um, many sales leaders uh, in their careers have found themselves ghosted. And whenever that happens to someone on my team or it happens to a colleague, I always say, hey, take a step back probably requires another call and ask them different kinds of questions because someone doesn't ghost because they're just like, oh, that's a terrible, you know, that I don't want to move forward with that. It's they're generally overwhelmed by their current role, by what it is that they need to solve the next steps they have to take. So those, that's what I, that's what, when I refer to friction points, there are kind of two pieces of that friction point. One is the obvious, right? I called a contractor to help me get, you know, build more space in my home. Okay. That's the obvious, but then what are those friction points that might be keeping me from actually doing so from actually taking a step? And that's when a really good consultative partner sales leader can ask those questions and try to help uh, solve for some of those, um, those quieter friction points that may not present themselves as obviously, uh, as, as the, you know, the elephant in the room, I need more space. Yeah. Wow. That is such a great example. I've never, um, uh, that's a great analogy. I love that. I may have to steal that. You may, you uh, may. <laughs> Feel free. That's a great example. So let's, let's, let's shift a little bit. Um, you know, I, I love what you said about, um, not having to choose between, between your love for technology and, and, you know, obviously you came up through an engineering background and sales, right. That you could kind of smush them together and, and do, do both. And I, and I don't think that that is always the case because I think that there's been so much focus on STEM, right. And coding, which is great. I'm a hundred percent supportive of that. I think it's awesome, but um, careers in STEM are not necessarily for, for everyone, but being able to sell for a technology company or for an engineering company um, is definitely an option, right? So talk to me a little bit more about that because um, I do hear that a lot from 
um, from women, they feel like it's this black and white, um, you know, I have to choose between STEM or I have to choose between sales and they don't necessarily see that gray area in in between. Yeah. This is such a great, I don't even know where to begin with, with my effusive answer to this, because it's so important. Not everyone was made to code, right? Not everyone enjoys being in front of a computer for six and eight and 12 hours at a time. Um, not everyone enjoys learning those languages. It's completely fine. And there's, there is a, in technology, there is really, there really is space for everyone. So my background is that I did learn some of those skills and I did start in through a more technical um, entry into a company. Um, I found for me that loving the technology, really understanding the technology, and then being able to work directly with our clients and solve for some of their challenges versus building out the technology for hours and hours on end during the day, that was really where I found my love. Now, I had many team members on the engineering team that couldn't believe what I was doing. Like, I can't believe, I wouldn't be able to sit with someone for two hours and ask them questions. I want to bang out code. Like, that's what I mean. Like there's something for everyone. And what I loved is that I did happen to come up through a more technical entry into a company. It helped me understand and really um, empathize. doesn't mean I can code today. You know, I, I haven't done it in years, so I, I, I don't claim to be uh, super technical today, but it does mean that I understand what it's like to be on a tech team. It does mean that I understand what it's like for a client to say, I need this in three weeks. And it's really a two month project. Mm -hmm. And when someone turns to you and says, we need this in three weeks, I I get what that is. I also understand those kinds of technologies, which helps me ask better questions. It helps me empathize with whomever it is that we are, you know, sharing our platform, you know, our, our, our product and or our services with. So uh, it doesn't necessarily require a STEM degree. I think it's really, really important that in sales, um, whatever it is you're selling, that at some point you come up through maybe customer experience or customer service, or maybe it is the technical team. But there are other there are lots of ways to come in and uh, come come in and grow up and through a company, or come in and up and through an industry. Uh, but but somehow have a job at some point that you empathize and really understand what those pain points are. It makes you someone better at sales. It makes you more empathetic. It makes you and adds to your curiosity and your ability to ask those questions. And you're absolutely right. Not everyone uh, should have a STEM degree or or has the, the the interest in a STEM degree. With that said, I'm also a huge proponent that technology is the future. So mm-hmm. even if STEM is not your area of love, uh, if you're getting, you know, if you're getting certifications or if you're in college and you're getting um, a liberal arts degree, I highly, I always, I highly, highly recommend a technology minor. The flip is also true. If you are studying some form of engineering or technology or STEM, I highly, and lots of research shows this, and many colleges and universities have moved in this direction also, highly recommend a liberal arts uh, minor so that you have a little bit of both. You've got some technology and you also understand the critical thinking, the communication piece, everything that's really going to help you get a job and do really well in your job. And in this case, in sales, you need all of that. You really do need to understand the technology and you certainly need to understand and be um, a master communicator, both written and, and speaking oral. Yeah, I think that's a great, that is such great advice. Um, and I agree a hundred percent, but you know, when you think about, you know, when you look at the numbers, right. I mean, obviously women are 
are way underrepresented in B2B sales just generally. But if you overlay tech sales specifically and tech sales leadership, the numbers are even more dismal. Like I, you know, um, and then forget it, you know, if you overlay any kind of, um, you know, uh, diversity statistic, like, you know, women in tech say, uh, you know, um, from underrepresented communities in tech sales or whatever, right? Like it's in the low single digits. So tell me about, um, you know, I mean, clearly you've had a huge amount of success, right? You're a, a senior vice president for a tech company. How did you overcome that bro culture, um, you know, mentality or and, and still maintain your innate and authentic personality as a woman, you know, coming up the ranks? Yeah, gosh, that's. Um, some days I think it wasn't easy. And then other days I think, well, you, you just put one foot in front of the other. And it really had to do with my love of the, of the, of a particular technology or my love of how we were solving for a problem, a challenge in the world. Um, and, and to be quite honest, I've, I've, I've never joined an organization that was known for its bro culture. I very specifically chose companies that, that that was not their reputation. And I strongly advise, there are so many amazing companies in the world who are, they might be trying, right? They're trying, or they may already have um, a diverse culture and that might be part of their values. There are so many options and opportunities today, especially with work from anywhere and um, some pretty amazing companies in the startup realm and in the mid-market um, enterprise as well, very, very aware uh, and trying to do better, do better. Um, I I think I've only been with one company that had a little bit of that culture and I stayed for you know less than a few years because it just wasn't something that was um, that, that fit with my values and made me happy. But I, I've really been blessed. Um, I didn't happen into it. It was strategic. And I was very aware of the kinds of companies that I was joining. And I have not joined some companies where people have assumed like, oh, I thought that you would have worked for X, Y, or Z or, and I've said no. And I, I haven't gone any farther than that, but I think it's really important to take control of your career. I, I recommend that to, um, to women who are throughout their career and women and men throughout their career, you know, really take control of your career, understand that if you say yes to something, why it is you're saying yes to that opportunity. What are you going to learn during that opportunity? What impact are you going to have? Who else can you learn from? Um, what is their culture? Does their culture align to your, to your values? And if not, uh, really think through, uh, what, what benefit that that opportunity might be driving for you? And is it something that you want to align yourself with for, you know, a year or two or a short amount of time or longer? I just, I think, I not, don't just think, I strongly believe that there are many opportunities for, for women. And I'm not so sure that, that they believe that. I know that to be true. And I, I also believe that you you can be strategic with the kind of company that you look for and the kind of culture that aligns with with your values. I, I really do. And you shouldn't put up with if if you are in kind of that quote unquote bro culture and that doesn't align with your values. It didn't align with mine and it doesn't align with mine. I just don't 
look at those companies. And I often share with other executives who, you know, I, I will often share, you know, diversity isn't just about talking about diversity and kind of it's the quote unquote thing to do. You are missing out when someone looks at your website or someone goes to investigate and think about working for your company, whether they're 22 or 45 or 70, they're, you've, you're representing something, right? You're representing your core values and the number of the, the amount of talent that just walks by some of those companies, never even stopping to take a look and learn more. And I just, I share that often with other executives when, um, when potentially there are all men on the website or there are all um, th the same kind of person physically on a website, I just say, you know, the, the talent that you're missing out on because they're the, the millennials and Gen Z's will walk right by. And I'm well, they vote with their wallets. Right by. They will, so, they vote with their wallets, right? And they will, they absolutely culture is such a huge priority for them. And if if you're not addressing diversity and not that doesn't mean and I didn't mean to interrupt but I was I just had to jump in it doesn't mean just changing your logo to rainbow colors you know during a particular month or black during a particular month right it means really um having diversity as a part of your cultural dna and representing that you know across all levels of the organization up into the boardroom then you know, you're not going to be successful in um, retaining top talent. At least I don't think so. Yeah, and I, attracting them, nor attracting right. them to your point. They'll just walk by. Yep. You'll never have an option. You'll never have the opportunity to try and attract them because they're, they're just not going to be interested in your company. So when it gets back to kind of talking with women who are earlier in their career, they do have options. They do have opportunities and they don't have to be with a company where they feel uh, maybe a bro culture or whatever it is that's making them uncomfortable. They don't have to stay. Um, I'm I'm also not a fan of kind of hopping all over the place. You know, you want to you want to join an organization, you want to contribute to that organization, you want to learn, you want to share your learnings with them, you want to achieve. Um, uh, with that said, you know, if you've discovered that you're part of a culture that doesn't align to your culture, you you have you you it's. You have you're empowered, right? You, right. You're you have empowered to, and you're empowered to find another yeah. opportunity because they're out there. And again, in technology and in the, the 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 growth areas of technology, that's that's really where I love to make sure that women are focused. And again, whether they have a STEM degree or not, to really bring them into the world of technology and into the world of selling and problem solving is you, you'll always have a job. Technology is not going anywhere. It's only growing. It's only deepening and it's only becoming more and more digital transformation is real. So even in, in industries where um, digital wasn't a driver, it is now. And so uh, there, there are lots of opportunities. Yeah, I agree. I love, you know, that you don't have to compromise your core values and to be, to be successful, right? That's, that's great advice. Um, one other thing that I wanted to touch on that you mentioned was about, um, you know, female women applying, you know, I, I, as I've spoken to women and I've taken a look at some of the um, job ads that are out there, um, particularly for sales, you know, for sales positions, even though companies have maybe a desire for diversity hiring, right? And to add more women into their sales teams, 
um, the qualifications that they're asking for uh, um, in these technology jobs are just over the top, right? And 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 women in particular um, are not as confident as men to apply for positions if they can't check all of the boxes or at least a good majority of them, and and you know of the qualifications, right? What, what, what advice would you give to, you know, young women as they're either looking to enter into a career in technology sales or take their career to the next level, um, you know, uh, on how to, how to sort of just push past that, right? Yeah. I, and I wish, you know, we all wish it were just that easy to just push, push past it. Um, this is where mentors really come in. Uh, I, I wish I had found and understood the power of mentoring and having a mentor earlier in my career. I discovered it kind of mid-career after I was already in, in my first leadership position. Um, and I, I just, I, I believe strongly in mentorship because that's when you can call a mentor and say, this is the role that I'm thinking about. This is the role that I would like to do, but I'm, and just be honest with, with them. I'm daunted by, by, by the description here. I mean, I think I can do, you know, I think I do well, seven of these 11 things they're asking for, but I'm not so sure about, you know, eight, nine, 10, and 11. Um, that's where a mentor can come in and really kind of, um, uh, just, thoughtfully walk you through, well, let's take this, let, let's pick this apart just a little bit. Let's look at what they're really looking for. Let's look at what your experience is. Um, do you really think that you have to have all 11? Because what I see, you know, they can give you an outside perspective. What I see is that you're really good at actually you're more, you're better than you're, you're really good at more than seven of these things. So let's, let, let me point out two more that I've seen you represent, or I hear you talk, I've heard you talk about. And then those other two, is that something you could learn on the job? Is that something that you think that you could ask ahead of time? Is there someone else? in your world that can help you with that. That's where a mentor can really walk you through. And sometimes, not sometimes, always provide guidance, but also sometimes um, provide a, a little bit of a, a little bit of padding for that confidence for you to at least have a conversation, a first yeah. conversation. I often say, have a first conversation because you may decide, you may decide it's not the right fit for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Before they decide anything, you may decide. So don't let those opportunities pass you by. Go in and have that first conversation. See if it's something that you would like to do. A, 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 an interview is always two ways. Right. Whenever I've been a mentor and I've, I've prepped someone for an interview, I say, it's always a two-way conversation. Come in with really good questions. Go in with really good questions because just as much as they want to know about you, you should want to know about them, the person mm-hmm. who you're going to roll to, the division and what their goals are, the company and what their goals are. Where have they been in the last four to five years? Where have they been in the last 12 months? Where are they going? How does your role fit into that growth uh, in sales? Very specifically, who are you going to roll to? How long have other people been in role on your team? What is the average length of time that another sales executive or sales um, uh, part, sales team member, uh, the average length of time they've been on the team? How long has the manager been part of that company? I mean, there's so many questions that you want to ask in those first in that first conversation before you even decide if maybe you have the other three skills that you think they're looking for. So um, I, I think that starts to even out the, the conversation a little bit and give folks confidence when they go into those conversations. And you can have a thoughtful conversation at 22, 23, 24, when you're brand new and maybe you're not feeling as confident, you can still host an incredible conversation. You don't have to be 15 years into your careers. I guess what I'm saying is that um, I, I just, I strongly advise 
the mentoring piece, making sure that especially um, uh, people early in their early in their career have a mentor that they can they can ask about because it's true, right? The research shows that it just that these are just the facts that men will see a, a job description and you know, say, oh, I, I, I have two thirds of those qualities or that experience and I'm going to apply anyway. And women not only stop it, I don't have a hundred percent. They want sometimes want 110 and 120% to, right. get, <laughs> to go forward. And we just, we just can't let that get in our way. So mentors, uh, we women mentors are, are really wonderful for helping uh, talk someone through a little bit of that potential negative talk or the questioning that they may have going on in their mind. Yeah, I, I think making that shift, and, and I think it's a mindset shift of you actually have the power to decide uh, whether this company is right for you. It's incumbent upon them to convince you to come and work for them, not the other way around, is like this mind-blowing. Um, it's some of the stuff we're working on right now for um, the Girls Who Sell Career Connections app. Um, that we're in the process of building right now. And I think it we're putting the power in the hands of the applicant, which it's is so going to be something completely different. Yeah. It, but I it, think it'll it, hopefully help women overcome some of those, those concerns. And I don't know if it's because of, you know, sports analogies, like men are like, yeah, you know, 30% batting average. That, you know, that's good. That's world-class, right? Women are like, no, I have to be perfect. Yeah. And, and you don't, you don't have to be perfect and you don't have to know everything. No one knows everything before they, they start a job. And sometimes with, with mentors, right. With those conversations and, and your organization girls who sell. And again, when there are folks who are, when there are uh, professionals who are a little more senior in their career and they can share some lessons back with those mentees, um, that's when you can really have that perspective to say, oh my gosh, no one has every bit of, of piece, you know, information they have experiences and they have expertise, but no one can say on any, I mean, it's very rare that I could say that someone says for every piece of, of a job, um, especially in sales and some other consultative pieces of the commercial side of business, that that you have every piece of, of that role. Um, you certainly want a good majority of it, but you don't need to have everything. And, and the mentor can walk you through that. Good friends yeah. and a, a mentor with good perspective and who will be very honest and open with you. Yeah, and I, I agree. And I think, you know, at least demonstrating that you may not have the skill, but certainly you're committed to learning it, that you're a lifelong learner, that you're that you're coachable, mm -hmm. right? Um, and that you're, you know, you understand where your gaps are, but you're willing to to learn how to overcome them. I think that's I don't know. For me, when I'm when I'm hiring, that is really important, right? I don't ever expect any individual to come in with a hundred percent of of what we're asking for. Actually, I think we need to start rethinking job ads <laughs> just in general, um, because I think, yeah, I think that we're losing a lot of really good talent by putting together unrealistic qualifications anyway. We are. And that's another thing that, that especially, well, at any point in your career, and especially those who are maybe earlier in their career and looking at their first sales job or a, a, another job, that's something else. There is so much research. And so there's so many studies that have gone into how to write a job ad in a right. way that attracts more, you know, in, in a new and creative way. And at three pillar, we've started to do that. And we've noticed a huge increase in, in lots of different 
types of people from different backgrounds starting to apply for positions. And again, lots of research out there. And when it comes to talent attraction teams, talent acquisition teams, those who are writing job uh, ads and putting information out there, there, there are so many, there are just words that you can pull from it. There are descriptors, broad, more broad or broader descriptors that you can put in and kind of take away some of the specificity and yet still get the same uh, understanding across. You know, if someone needs to learn, you know, someone needs to have a certain background, you can use generalized descriptors versus these very specific that tend to pull people out of the running before, again, before that interviewing manager has even had the opportunity to talk with you. Um, and that you, before you've had the opportunity to see if it's a company that you think it would be a good fit and a team that you think would be a good fit. So I, I fully agree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was just on a really interesting panel. Um, the other day we were talking about this. I could probably stay here and talk to you about this all day long. Um, but one of the, the piece statistics, you know, we were talking more about um, gender, gender neutral recruiting ads and, um, you know, only 38% of companies today are using gender, gender neutral um, uh, advertising, particularly for sales. Uh, actually, it's a big issue in sales. <laughs> and even though they show that they perform exponentially better than um, advertising that uses more male dominated type words, and one of the interesting stats that I saw was that an ad that uses the word aggressive. So, um, you know, come and join a, a growing team with, with aggressive sales goals or something like that. Um, 44% of uh, women will just bypass um, applying altogether just by using that one single word. Right. I thought that was incredible. Right. I think can imagine. The, you think of the amazing talent that you're losing. And, I know and just such a simple fix just by the use of, of that one word. And there are, there are common words like, like that, that can, again, um, kind of pull, pull certain candidates away from particular applications. And it, it's really a shame. I, I truly believe, and I'm so glad that you're a part of that panel and that there's conver- even more conversation going on around this because the great resignation is real mm-hmm. and companies who don't understand um, the gender bias or, you know, how to write a job application, I'm sorry, a job, a job ad- advertisement that can attract all kinds of people with different backgrounds and, and diverse, diverse backgrounds, they will lose out. And the other companies are just going to leave them in the dust. And so again, I, I believe that with COVID, with kind of the, the great, you know, hashtag great resignation companies who hadn't thought about it, or maybe started to talk about it, but hadn't really put anything into, into practice. They are, they are going to be made to do so. They are going to have to do so because it is very, very hard to find good sales talent today. Uh, it is very difficult. And so if you are you know, not attracting more than 50% of applicants, you're only hurting yourself. It's just, it's not good for business. It's bad for business. So I believe in studies and and research is showing that again, hashtag great resignation is really going to um, force companies to, who haven't been rethinking how they advertise their jobs to start thinking very specifically and, and acutely on how to write more broad job descriptions to attract lots of different people with lots of different backgrounds. Yeah, I agree. 
that is a great ending spot, I think. So um, just to, you know, to finish up, um, if, if, is there anything you'd like to promote or people would like to find out more about you or Three Pillar Global? Um, oh my goodness. How can they reach you? Sure. They can reach me on LinkedIn. That's a great way to get in touch with me. I, um, I, I'm a big LinkedIn fan. I, I love making social connections on LinkedIn. So you can find me at Jennifer Ives. I believe my LinkedIn quote unquote handle is Jennifer Ives one, the number one Jennifer Ives one, but just look me up Jennifer Ives, three pillar global. Uh, we have a, we have a great, a selling book called the product mindset. So I guess if I wanted to promote something, it would be the product mindset. We just celebrated our two year anniversary and, um, many universities around the country are, are using it. Um, we chatted, I just chatted with Bob, uh, Mesta the other day, and he's written a book around sales and marketing. I highly recommend that as well. Fascinating conversation with Bob Mesta. And again, for sales leaders, Excellent. And uh, yeah, find me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm so happy to, to connect with, with young, uh, young people in their careers and, and see how I can be of help. Again, there's enough room in the world for everyone. So let me, let me see how I can be of help. That thank sounds, you. That, yeah. Thank you, Jennifer. And, and thanks for being such an inspiration for other women who are interested in, in careers in tech sales. So um, I really appreciate you taking the time today to join us. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye.